You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning. My name is Sharon, and this morning I'll lead us through the scripture. Uh, so if you could find your Bibles or your Bible apps and turn to Matthew 6, 19 to 24, out of respect for God's word, I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand again. <laughs> and at the end of the reading, I will say the word of the Lord and the church's response is, thanks be to God. Okay. So this section is entitled Treasures in Heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word of the Lord. Mic on. Not that it makes much of a difference. So I'm loud enough. Uh, excited to be jumping back into our sermon series this week. And I will say, I've, I've missed you guys. It's been an interesting summer. I've done a bit of traveling. And, uh, and when I have been in town, I've kind of, kind of skipped in and skipped out. I've, uh, I think um, when I was here a few weeks ago, I was preaching three messages in a row. So I was up at Mariner, the other campus, and down here and back up. So I didn't really get to spend time. So I'm really looking forward to uh, tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow. Where's Mark? Tomorrow. Uh, afternoon. Um, you know what? That's a rumor going around because I spoke to someone else before the service. It's not just you. I spoke to someone else during the service and they said, so this afternoon? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> so tomorrow. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, so one of the, before I get into my message, there is uh, one thing I need to share with you. And some of you received an email yesterday. This is kind of a bittersweet um, moment in the history of our church. In that, Lelania, my dear wife, who has been our kids ministry coordinator for the last two years, is stepping down. I said to someone before the service, she's leaving. And they were like, oh, like that's intense. Not me. She's just stepping down from, from that position. My, uh, Lelania has been offered a position at BC Christian Academy as their drama teacher, as well as uh, doing some missions work with them. Yes. And that might, be, that might cause some fear, except that our own Jess Brewer is going to be taking over the position. And that is fantastic. And you're saying to yourself right now, Brad, why aren't they up here? Because they're busy working. That's why they do this job. They love kids and uh, they're serving. So after the service, if you see uh, Lelania or you see Jess, then just give them a hug and thank you for 
what they're about to take on or, about, or what they've done. Uh, if you don't know who they are, just hug everybody you see out there until you hit the right person. <laughs> That's fine as well. All right. So keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to uh, 24. We're, we're jumping back into this series called A New Humanity, and what we're talking about is we're walking through what's been known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through to 7, where Jesus is declaring that he is really the king of creation. He's bringing in his kingdom. And if you want to look like you belong to his kingdom, you will look differently than the world. The world has a certain idea. And by the way, it shifts and changes all the time. So the minute you think you're st stepping on solid ground, the next day, something different is the solid ground. Um, and Jesus is saying, if you want solidity, if you want um, long-term hope and joy, then you need to take what the world gives and you need to flip it on its head and follow my teaching. We'll see that at the very end. He says, you want solid ground? You want ground that's not like sand? Then obey my teachings. And what we need to understand from the very beginning is that the goal is not to leave here more moral. The goal is not to leave here and go, I'm going to try harder this week. The goal is to leave here and go, you know, there's something, that's something else I could peel maybe off my life that's been kind of attached to myself because it's keeping me from more Jesus. That's the goal. It's not so you can check off something at the end of the week. And, and there have been many religious leaders who do that. Um, some of you might have maybe studied John Wesley, um, who started the, the Methodist movement. Uh, he used to actually have a list of things every day that he would mark off. Did I do that? Like that will burn you alive. That will eat you up. That is not why Christians try to live morally or try to peel off those things. Like they keep us from Jesus and we want more Jesus. I, felt, I feel like I was like chanting online. We want... So that's what this is about. So do not, do not think that what Jesus is saying here is about just trying to line up and, and live a more ethical life. In 2008, some of you will remember the, the global economic crisis hit. And when the, the global economic crisis hit, it was, there followed a tragic string of suicides. Famous people in, in the economic world were taking their lives. The, the chief financial officer of, of Freddie Mac, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, hung himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and, and leading families who had lost $1.4 of his clients' money in, in, in a Ponzi scheme slid his wrists and died in his Madison Avenue office. A Danish senior executive with the HSBC Bank hung himself in the wardrobe of his expensive suite in Knightsbridge, London. That's quite a jump from a child dedication to the... <laughs> These are drastic. These are tragic. They're, they may seem like an extreme, but they give us an example of the despair that comes when our foundation is removed from underneath us. Tim Keller describes, Tim Keller's a pastor who just passed away recently out of, out of Manhattan. He describes the difference between sorrow and despair as sorrow being something that can be consoled, but despair is inconsolable because it comes from losing an ultimate thing. Something we planted ourselves solidly on. Something that became our nucleus and everything else went around it, orbited around it. Uh, the, the, it's what the psalmist describes in, in Psalm 46. When it feels as though the earth has given way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, that the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake because of their surging. 
Have any of you ever felt like the earth was giving way underneath you? Some of you, maybe just this week as you were watching the news and you saw some of the things going on in the world. Maybe some of you got some news this week. When everything we thought was solid and it drops out from underneath us, our lives can feel often like, like when a plane hits turbulence and you just, you're grabbing anything. You grab the hand next to you and then you realize, I'm traveling solo. Um, <laughs> you could be like my mother-in-law when she's in the passenger seat and I'm driving and she's always looking for the handle. Or I'm going to put in a fake break for her too because I think that'll give her more comfort. We've all been there where the world feels shaky and what do we do? We, find, we look for something to grab onto. It might be a campaign. It might be a political campaign. It might be an identity, some sort of security, relationship, power. For some, it's what we own and how, how do we hold on to that and, and not let it escape? But Jesus says when we do that, we get things backwards. Rather than, than act as security, they actually, act, uh, they, they actually aim towards instability in our soul because we're trying to find foundation and salvation where it was never meant to be found. So let's take a look at, at uh, this text this morning. And we'll, we'll, we'll pull a Stephen Covey, Seven Habits, and we'll begin with the end in mind. The last verse says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That seems pretty straightforward. Bottom line, only one thing can occupy your heart at a time. Notice what it says before we get to Judgy Judgerson. If you love money, not have money, not have a lot of money, you can have a lot of money, but if you love money, Either, either your money will take the center or God will take the center. We cannot ultimately love God and something else because they'll always be fighting for the center. And Jesus says that when that happens, lovers of money become servants of money. And maybe you've seen this in your own life. You've seen it in other people's life. We've definitely seen it in the lives of the rich and famous. Verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You become a servant of money because you're always worried that the vermin are going to get in somehow. So how can I protect what I've got? The thieves are somehow going to rip me off. So how can I be careful with what I've got? The, the word here for store up, the word literally means to hoard. To bring it in, build a wall around it. And you can never have enough. You keep building more and adding to it. The reason that person becomes a servant or a slave to money is because they are constantly worried about it getting out somehow. And the scary part about that, as we saw in 2008, is that it can be the smallest or the, un or the unseen thing that gets in to do it. The thing, the thing you don't see coming. A drop in the economy, or as Jesus says, moth or vermin, something very, very small. A rat. In Jesus' day, the sign of wealth was that you had a whole bunch of different clothes. You didn't just wear the same thing over yourself all the time. You had, you had a variety of things you could choose from. Or another sign of wealth was that you had more grain than you needed, so you would have to build storehouses of clay or brick that would, would secure it from the outside world. Secure it from robbers, yes, but also from small rodents that would slowly chew and scratch through. And it may be something quick that you see coming or some rodent would be chewing on the far side that you never look at or doing it at night and you would go to your extra storage grain, pull the lid off and there'd be nothing there because the smallest insignificant thing had stolen it from you. 
So you're always worried that something could happen. About a, about a year ago, my, my car just refused to start. Nothing. Nothing's going on. I had to get it towed from my house. I made it home, but then I had to get it towed from my house to the local garage. What I got back was not a phone call. I got a picture of a nest on top of my battery, of a rat. The rat is no longer in this picture, but they told me when they opened it, the rat was still there looking at them. <laughs> and what the rat was doing while it was there, not only getting warm from the heat of the engine, but was also chewing on the wires. The rat enjoying the warmth of the car in the winter had made his way into my, into my car engine and chewed it out. Believe me, that was the last thing I thought that was going to stop my car. I was not thinking, you know what might stop my car tomorrow from starting? Is a rat living under the hood of my car and chewing on the wires. A small, seemingly insignificant event had taken down the, 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 with a few nibbles the thing that I placed my life in every day and traveled in that I thought was secure. Jesus says, be careful where you store up your confidence because it can easily be taken whether by a thief or thieves or the small and the unseen. Do not become a slave to accumulation, prevention, and protection. Your lives were meant for something more. And when we, when we rotate our lives around those things, we become anxious and we become depressed when the wrong love takes up the center. In the 1830s, the French politician and historian philosopher Alexis Tocqueville visited America and he was confused because in light of all their wealth, he said, there's a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. And many of us know today that wealthy nations report the highest rates of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. People often get after Christianity, they say, how do you believe in, the, in, the, uh, in this unseen God in the sky? Yet people continue to believe the lie that money makes them happy. And we continue to see depression and anxiety and loneliness actually increase with the wealthy. Wealthy nations and the wealthy individual. Not because they have money, but because they love money. There's an unwillingness to say, I have enough. And there's this consistent push to gain more and, and, and anxiety to protect what we have. And that's what the love of money does. And like any love, it can blind us. Lovers of money become blind. This is an interesting text right here in the middle of this. In verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is Jesus getting at here? It's an interesting um, image that he's, that he's giving. Of, of all people, I think Nietzsche, the, the atheist prophet who, who longed for a world without God, but also kind of was scared at the same time of what the consequences of that might be. Uh, he said this, he says, what induces one man to use false weights? That is not how you spell that kind of weights. Another to set his house on fire after having insured it for more than its value. Well, three fourths of our upper classes indulge in legalized fraud. What gives rise to all this? It's not real want, for their existence is by no means precarious. They're not, they're not living danger. They're not on the verge of being poor. So why are they doing this? They are urged on day and night by a terrible impatience at seeing their wealth pile up so slowly. 
and by an equally terrible longing and love for these heaps of gold. What once was done for the love of God is now done for the love of money. In short, Nietzsche seems to be kind of foretelling the fact that in the West, money would become a counterfeit God, all-consuming, all-demanding, so that we would cheat, manipulate, cheat on our taxes in order to serve it. We become the slave of possessions. And when that happens, there's, a, there's a, a blindness to enjoy the blessings that God is ready to give us, whether it be uh, community, whether it be uh, the generosity that God himself has shown us, blind to other types of wealth. We have such a, such a confined version of what wealth is that our, our definition of wealth would not have fit in first century Palestine. And in many places in the world today, it would, it would not make sense because the idea of wealth in many places in the world is friendship and family and community. The very things in the West we have whittled down until we are storyless individuals. So much so that today, when we, when we try to figure out if we have enough money, we don't compare ourselves to 95% of the world. We compare ourselves to the person down the block. The person with the pool and the three cars who lives five doors down. We don't remember that 95% of the world is living with far less than we have. See, in verses 22 to 23, we get an understanding of what Jesus is after. It's, it, it's kind of hidden. The, the language of eyes being healthy... Do you have healthy eyes? Was a Jewish implication of are you generous? How do you look at the world with opportunity to give? And, and to have eyes that are unhealthy was a, a Jewish way of saying you are stingy and unwilling to give. Took a bit of digging, but, that's, but that's, that's what that means. In other words, if you, if you seek to be generous, you are someone who has good spiritual eyesight. If you look out of the world and go, how can I serve? If you don't look at the world and ask yourself that, uh, you're, you're, you, are, you, are, you have bad spiritual eyesight. If you do not look at the world and ask yourself, how can I give? You're spiritually blind and God's kingdom has not truly taken root in you, Jesus would say. But the flip side is that lovers of God become conduits of generosity. Those who have received and understand more deeply each day the grace and the mercy, the forgiveness, the generosity of God the Father, we are quick to give things up to others and share that with others. Jesus shows us that, 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 that generosity comes from, from giving up. When our treasure is invested in the internal, that's when we find peace. This is what the early church understood. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 6, 14. May I never boast. May I never look at the things I have accomplished and accumulated. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, which represents what? Giving up everything through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? It means the world can never truly hold on to Paul. The, the world can never truly have a grip on Paul. Why? Because he has everything he needs in Christ. And they can dangle things, and they tried to. They tried to take away his possessions, throw him in prison, take away his life, and he drove them batty. <laughs> he goes, oh, no, to, die is, to die is to be with Christ. I, I can handle that. All I need is Christ. And, and Jesus says that's where we, we, can, we can truly live with kingdom values of generosity, and, and, and we can loosen our grip on the things of the world and everything that it promotes and says is necessary to be happy. I'm sorry, they are lying to you. When the car commercial 
promises you something spiritual. <laughs> when a new shampoo promises you something spiritual, they're lying to you. I've shared this before. In the 50s, if you watched a soap commercial, there was like a Happy Boy soap or Sailor Boy soap. It would be like, Sailor Boy is good for B.O. You knew what it was for. <laughs> you stink, this will help you not stink. Now, if you watch a commercial, they are offering you something metaphysical and they are lying to you. Store up your treasures in heaven, Jesus says, where they cannot be destroyed by time or rot or stolen by thieves. Where, where God is, is, he's a God of his word. <laughs> he's a person of his word. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the crux of the whole thing. This is what we need. This is not sentiment. It's like, oh, my heart is in heaven. My heart is for that. That's not what it's about. This is about security for your heart. This is about placing your, your heart in a place where nothing can get it. Circumstance, richer, poor, sickness, health, cannot break through that box. It's security for our heart and for our affections, for our hope, for our identity, which is a big thing these days. Jesus says these things can only be found in gospel-centered generosity. It's as if we experience more of the generosity of God as we give it to other people. As the old song I used to sing in, in Sunday school, love is nothing till you give it away. So, and my voice probably did crack like that when I did it. So just giving you an authentic version. So is our outlook on life one that looks for opportunity to be generous or one that looks to hoard what has been gifted to us? Because everything is on loan. Is our faith about what we get out of it or about what we can give from it? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. If you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple and follower of Jesus, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. I always, I don't know why they don't do this, but the appeal is, is we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. Put quotes around that. That is our appeal. God is asking us to go in the world and say, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be come back to God. In James chapter one, verse 17, he writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. But that is not a full stop. You and I are now invited to be conduits of that gift, to be givers of that gift. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. We covered this uh, about a month back. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus says that when we refuse to live with a heart of generosity, it's like we've, we've closed the blinds that lets no light into our soul. And in doing so, our soul becomes dark. We are spiritually walking in darkness, stubbing our spiritual toes, tripping over spiritual Ottomans if we refuse to be people who look at the world with an opportunity to be generous. A lack of generosity morally corrupts us. Are we stingy with our time? Are we stingy with our finances? I'm not talking about church giving. I'm talking about looking out to the world and saying, how can I give and relieve other people? How can I be generous? Generous with forgiveness, generous with our time, showing grace and mercy to others. 
The better the gift, the more we ought to thank God for it. And the best expression of thanking God for something is to offer it to other people and welcome them in. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says there's, a, there's a, an incompleteness when we take in a sunset or a beautiful picture and we don't tell someone else about it. Have you ever watched a comedy show and you welcome someone else? You, you got to watch, watch the new Nate Bargatze or you got to watch Jeff, Jim Gaffigan or whatever. And then and you, you sit next to them and every time there's a joke you've already heard, you go. <laughs> and if they don't pay attention, like, I'll remind it. <laughs> That's what generosity is. You get more excitement from the gifts God has given you when you give it to other people. Do you want to know about this life God has given me that has changed me? Let me share that with you. Not just with words, not with just preaching the gospel at you, but living the gospel next to you, living with generosity, generosity next to you and toward you. That's how we experience more of it and more of Jesus. But a grudging and ungenerous spirit, Jesus says, distorts our view of life and of others and of God. And it makes us unlike our Father. And here's the last thing I'll say. Conduits of generosity. You and I, when we go out into the world and say, hey, we want to speak, we want to be the hands and the feet and the generosity of Jesus to you, we become free. We become free. Free from the taskmaster of money and accumulation and all the things that the world promises if we accumulate, we'll feel better about ourselves. Free of, of the darkness that blocks a deeper experience of others, a deeper experience of Jesus. It's the difference between the young rich ruler in Matthew 19, who when Jesus challenges him to give up his wealth, he refuses and walks away how? Sad, because he had a lot of money. Sad because he had a lot of money. It's the difference between him and Zacchaeus, who, who was a, a wealthy tax collector, who was vertically challenged, and was upon meeting his greatest treasure, upon realizing he had just met his greatest desire face to face, he proclaimed in a way that can only be described as childlike and giddy in Luke uh, 19.8. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It would have been just to just pay back the amount. But he can't, he can't help himself. He, he wants to be, he wants to extend his generosity. He wants to explode out of him. The, this giving of, of Zacchaeus didn't bring about the happiness and, and, and commitment. It was testimony to the joy. In other words, he didn't get to gain anything from God out of it. It came out of, it was a testimony to the joy that he already found in Christ and that in Christ he had everything he truly needed. But I would guarantee in giving, he felt the weight and the grip of greed loosen so that more joy resulted in his life. He became more free as he peeled that burden off himself. Because when we are generous, we make space. When, when we are generous, it, it creates reliance and trust on God. It gives us clarity. It gives us union with Jesus. Because whenever we disconnect gifts from the giver and every good and perfect gift is from God, whenever we disconnect gift from the giver, satisfaction is disconnected from the gift. Every gift is properly enjoyed within boundaries for ourselves and an explosion towards other people. Everything we make an idol has its, has its proper place in our lives, but that proper place is not in the center. 
That, that proper place is always rotating around Christ as our center, whether it be sexuality, whether it be friendships, food, exercise, money, and stuff. And we can all think in each of those, we can think, we know where it's gone, where it's gone outside of boundaries and it's gone and it's been something we've hoarded and said, I will run the show here. None of those were meant to be the nucleus. Only Christ was meant to be the center. And they find their proper place, their healthy place, the place where they can find, sustain, and be used in a healthy way when Jesus is at the center. The Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians 4, 7. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what it means to have your treasure in heaven. It's guarded, cannot be taken. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our, knowledge, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The gospel, the good news, is not just about salvation someday. And I, if you attend here, you know I've said that over and over. The gospel is just not just so you can get your stamp, passport stamped for heaven someday. It is about liberation now. It is, it is as we tether ourselves to Christ and find our hope in him, as Peter writes, participate in his divine nature, we remove those things that nail us down to this earth and keep us from hope and identity and peace in our hearts, and attach us to anxiety and depression and loneliness. Part of our discipleship is to, to release those things we cling to so strongly. Our time, our money, our independence, so that we can cling more fully to Jesus. Why do we want to do that? As I've said several times this morning, the best gift that Jesus can give you is more of himself. We can pray for all sorts of other things, healing, money, finance, whatever. The greatest gift he can give us is more of himself. But often our arms are so full, we can of all the things we can accumulate, we have nothing left to grab onto and embrace the bigger, deeper, eternal things of God. We're too busy carrying everything else we've accumulated. That is the way we find solid ground in a shaky world. It is not to grab more of anything, it is to be gripped by Christ. And that's my prayer, that we would be gripped more by Christ so we're happy to release all those things. We need to ask ourselves in light, if light is shining or if we've shut the blinds. Because often a, a lack of generosity is a sign that we, we don't understand that you and I, if we are Christ, we are defined by the generosity of God who gave himself fully for our salvation. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He gave up everything so that we could be welcomed into relationship with him and healthy relationship with others and how we relate with the gifts that he's given us. It's not about being better. It's not about leaving here and trying harder. It's about stripping away those things that enslave us and keep us from more Jesus because he's the best gift he can give you. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads right now. And for some of us, we might just be saying, I, I, don't, have, I don't have anything. <laughs> I've got nothing to give. It might not be money. It could be that we've decided, 
uh, a pursuit of relationship is going to be, it's going to take the center for us. And so we're, we're willing to, to put that at the center and push Christ to the margins. It could be that um, the way we're perceived by others is important to us. So, so power is going to be what we put at the center and no one is going to insult me or they're going to, they're going to get it. There's going to be revenge. There's going to be retribution. Maybe it's about image. Jesus says, release that. Those, those, are, those are treadmills that there's no off switch for. There's no way to turn those off. Release them and let me grip you with my goodness and my grace and my forgiveness and my beautiful story. This is where there's hope. This is where there's solidity. This is where there is joy and hope and identity. And so Jesus, I pray that you would grip us this morning. I pray for, e- and for each of us, it's a different story as we step in here. For each of us, we have different things that we, maybe it's been quick. Maybe it's been something new that's excited us. Or maybe it's been something over time that has slowly shifted to the center. And everything else in our lives, our family, our kids, uh, maybe our finances are all aimed towards this thing that we put in the center. And so, Jesus, we want to declare to you that we want you to take center again in our lives. For only you, as your disciples said, only you have the words of eternal life. Only you are up front with us about how difficult life is going to be. Only you have shown us a model of giving up everything through a, through a selfless, giving up kind of love. You've shown us where that ends in beautiful resurrection and in community with you and with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And that is our desire and that is our joy and that is our hope. And so whatever has wrapped itself around us, we want to peel it off so we can run more, more wholeheartedly towards you, the perfecter of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.